You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Welcome to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We are glad you're joining us for another episode. We'd like to encourage you, if you're a first-time listener, to come in and stay a while, listen to what we have to say. And if you like what you're hearing, we encourage you to become a regular subscriber. You can download and subscribe our episodes on a regular basis. We release these episodes every week, uh, Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And so you can take us on the go with you there on your mobile device and uh, listen to the Bonfire Podcast as you go about your, your daily business. For those of you who have been listening for quite some time, again, we want to continue to say thank you uh, for your support and uh, and continuing to listen. And uh, also like to encourage you guys to go over to our Facebook page. You can like and follow the ministry there, see what's going on. We post a, uh, our episodes there. gives you an opportunity to share those episodes with other people and to uh, comment and just kind of follow on what we're doing along here at Bonefire Ministries. And then lastly, uh, as we always say, we encourage you to tell someone about uh, the Bonefire podcast and about the ministry. We'd love for you to share um, your experience with someone. Um, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker. So uh, we're really trying to grow our community here of believers who uh, like to listen and study to God's Word and and so we're just uh, asking for you to, to share with someone. We hear that advertising, the best advertising you can have is word of mouth. And so uh, we're just asking you to help us there and uh, use that word of mouth to tell someone else about the Bonefire Podcast. Well, I'm glad you guys are joining us uh, on this episode and listening in. Uh, we are going to uh, dive into another doctrinal matter. And we're going to be going th- through and discussing the doctrine of baptism. Now, it's been a while since we've done one of these, but uh, these episodes are a part of an intermittent series that we call the doctrinal dose. And so uh, the doctrinal dose episodes are intended to help all of us better understand the key doctrines of the Christian faith. And uh, I want you guys to remember that doctrine does matter. And uh, we need to know what we believe and, and better more why we believe it. You know, Dad, I was listening to um, the local radio um, here uh, just in the last couple weeks, and uh, Adrian Rogers, which is one of our, our favorite pastors, mm-hmm. uh, they had a little video clip or audio clip from him on the radio. Um, and uh, he, he told a story that he one time asked a lady, well, ma'am, can you tell me what you believe? I'm talking about her, her spiritual beliefs. Mm-hmm. And uh, she says, well, I believe what my church believes. And he says, okay, well, what does your church believe? She says, well, my church believes what I believe. And so <laughs> he says, well, what do you and your church believe? And she says, we believe the same thing. And so his <laughs> yeah. point was there, it's, it's, it's important not only to know what you believe, uh, but to really know why you believe it and be able to speak to it. And so, you know, that's the purpose of these doctrinal doses is to really kind of dig in and and kind of, uh, yes, we're looking at Scripture, but we're talking about a piece of doctrine, trying to give you some evidence um, and some speaking points so that you know why you believe what you believe. And if someone ever asks you, you can uh, tell them. And uh, that way you don't have to just say, well, I believe what my church believes and go through that whole scenario there that um, – that I heard on the radio. So again, doctrine matters. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. Now, when it comes to the doctrine of baptism, uh, dad, I would say that there's, there's probably few doctrines um, that are more, I I will say controversial, but uh, that that generate more confusion or contention or division in Christianity than baptism. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there are various uh, beliefs in baptism. Uh, They vary significantly uh, from how, when, 
uh, to who you baptize, and um, and really, it really divides up the Christian faith quite a bit. And, and in fact, it divides it down pretty much denominational lines. So mm-hmm. uh, many times, the way that you believe or what you believe about baptism um, aligns with what denomination or, or, or church group you assimilate with. And so uh, today, we're going to be looking at closely at the doctrine of baptism. Now, if you followed us long enough, you'll know that we are Baptist, mm-hmm. uh, right? And so, uh, as as a Baptist denomination, we uh, baptism is probably one of our key things that we hold to, Right, um, is that we believe in baptism by immersion, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, we believe that we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And and so uh, you're going to be hearing kind of this Baptist perspective, uh, but we're going to give you a biblical uh, justification, and, and and we feel that this is why you know our, our viewpoint is correct. Um, obviously, if you talk to someone who's from another side, they believe their viewpoint's correct, but we're going to present um, to you the clearest manner as we can of what we believe the Bible says about baptism today. And so mm-hmm. as we do that, uh, I've decided that we would kind of answer five questions uh, to kind of help explain this conversation. So we're going to be looking at what is baptism? Um, is baptism required for salvation? Why is baptism important? And when should you get baptized? And how should you be baptized? So I, f- I felt like that was kind of the five main uh, questions. Obviously, uh, we could go uh, probably in two or three episodes really digging into the origins of baptism and and the the history and the ordinance and how it was set up and and uh, that's really not the purpose of our, our doctrinal doses to give you this kind of concise overview of mm-hmm. the doctrine and, and equip you with the knowledge that you need so that you can speak uh, to it if you're ever asked and so we're going to be right. addressing those five questions and so um, I'm going to start first dad and we're going to go kind of back and forth we'll, we'll pass this back and forth and we'll start with what is baptism and uh, as I was Thinking about what is baptism, I thought about the simplest way that you could define baptism, and I think I've heard you use a similar definition before. Is when you're talking to people and explaining uh, to them what baptism is, is in its simplest definition, it's an outward expression of an inward phenomenon that occurs when you surrender your life to Christ and place your faith in Him alone for your salvation. And mm-hmm. so, uh, I say it's an outward expression. It is a symbol. It is a it is a action that you do to signify something that's happened internally inside of you, and that internal action is you know, your salvation, the Holy Spirit coming to live in you and to create in you a new person. And so that's what uh, baptism is in its simplest form. If you look at the meaning of baptism and you try to boil it down to just one word, I think that word would be identification, mm-hmm. right? And so um, baptism illustrates a believer's identification with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And I like the way that the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 6, verses 3 through 4, and I'll share that with you here. It says, Do you not know that as many of us that were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into his death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in a newness of life. I want you to notice Paul's words there. He says that we are baptized into Christ. We are baptized into his death. We are buried with him in baptism. Now, this verse uh, truly is speaking of spiritual baptism or baptism by the Spirit. But remember, what we're saying here is that when we do this water baptism, this outward expression, we're reliving or, or, or making this public uh, presentation of what happened on the inside. And so this is very true of water baptism. It, it symbolizes us being baptized into Christ, baptized into his death, and uh, baptized in uh, to his resurrection as well. And so really, 
when you look at baptism as a whole, again, water baptism, it is meant to be a symbol. And Dad, I think you use this example all the time when you're talking to, um, when you're up there in the baptistry area getting ready to baptize new people, you always talk about the wedding ring. Right. You know, and the fact that that the wedding ring is a symbol um, that shows that you are married. It shows that you have made a commitment to someone Mm -hmm. and you can take that wedding ring off and that doesn't invalidate your marriage. You're still married. You still have that commitment. uh, But that wedding ring is an outward symbol to those around you that you are married and that you're committed to another person. And so could be said with baptism is that it's that outward expression. And so, Dad, um, now that we kind of know what the the general definition of baptism is and this is a symbol or expression, the question that many people often ask is, well, is baptism required for salvation? How would you answer that question? Absolutely not. We are not saved by baptism. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, over in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul writes, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. From this we see that the Bible teaches that salvation is not by works or by any combination of grace and works. It is by grace through faith alone. Now, quickly, uh, you say faith in what or who? Well, it is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary to die for our sins so as to make salvation possible. Now, over in uh, in Acts chapter 4, the apostle Peter, uh, he says in verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other name. Now, we could say there's not salvation in Buddha's name, Muhammad's name, or Confucius, uh, for there is None other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, according to the Bible, folks, salvation is only possible through Jesus Christ. And the moment a person places his faith in Jesus, he is given eternal life in that moment. Now, the scriptures are full of verses that show this. In John three thirty six, Jesus said, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now the word hath, where the Bible says, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, is in the present tense. In modern English, the word is has. Here the Bible promises that the person who believes on the Son has eternal life. It is not something he's going to receive after he gets baptized, but it is something that he has the moment that he believes on the Son. Now the same teaching is found in John five twenty four, where Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Now, notice again that the one has everlasting life the moment he places his faith in Christ. Now, how does this relate to baptism, you say? Well, you can search the Bible, and without exception, you will find that everyone that is told about that got baptized believed before they got baptized. Acts 2.41, the scripture says, Then they gladly received his word and were baptized. Acts 8.36, the Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And the very next verse, Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And in the same verse, the eunuch replied, 
I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And it was in the next verse after he believed that Philip baptized the eunuch. Now, pulling everything that I told you together, if one has everlasting life the moment he believed, as Jesus plainly promises, and he is baptized after he believes, then it is clear that this Ethiopian eunuch that we've just read about had to be saved before he got into the baptismal waters. Folks, water baptism is not essential to salvation. Salvation is not by grace through faith plus baptism. It is by grace through faith alone. And the moment a person believes in Jesus Christ, he is saved. Baptism is not meant to produce salvation, but pictures salvation. It is meant to serve as a dramatic presentation of the experience of salvation, a confession in pantomime, you might say. The person who was is no more. In baptism, the burial in water tells of death to sin, and the rising from the water speaks of the new life in Christ. When a person gets baptized, then he's showing that he's no longer the same person he used to be. Because of the one who died, was buried, and rose again. That's Jesus. Now, it is a great privilege, folks, to be baptized. Because when we're baptized, we're pointing to Jesus Christ, giving testimony of what he has done. He set the example for us by being baptized himself. Now, there are many examples in the Bible of people who were saved but were not baptized. The first example would uh, be all of the Old Testament saints. Abraham, for example, was a saved man, but he wasn't baptized. But do you know how he was saved? The same way you and I are saved, through faith. Romans 5, 9, and 11, Paul said, Faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it reckoned? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised. Abraham then was saved by faith, not by faith plus baptism. And there was no baptism in his day, not by faith plus circumcision. For the Bible plainly says his faith was counted as righteousness before he got circumcised. All the Old Testament saints that we read about were saved by faith. Faith in God and his plan of salvation, which was to send Christ to die on the cross for the remission of our sins. Now, the 11th chapter of Hebrews tells us case after case where people in the Old Testament were saved by simple faith in Jesus. Since people in the Old Testament were all saved without being baptized, you would expect to find cases in the New Testament where people were saved but never baptized. Luke 7, 37 through 50 tells the story of a woman who was saved without being baptized. Jesus said to her, thy sins are forgiven. And he went on to say, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Luke 18, 35 through 43 tells about the healing and conversion of a blind man who is saved by faith without baptism. Here is the record. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, thy faith hath saved thee. To give you another illustration, the publican in Luke 18 was saved without baptism. This poor sinner, you remember, cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said of him, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. But now there is no record 
of his ever being baptized. The classic example of one being saved without being baptized is the thief on the cross. The story of him being saved is found in Luke 23, 39 through 43. This poor thief dying on the cross requested of Jesus in verse 42, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus, he answered him in verse 43, verily or truly I say to you, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The thief was not baptized, but according to the very words of Jesus, he was with Jesus that very day in paradise. It is clearly seen in the Bible that baptism does not produce salvation. If you have faith in Jesus and you have not been baptized, you're just as saved as those who have been baptized in spite of what some people teach. But now if you're saved and you haven't been baptized, you ought to be baptized because Jesus commands that we get baptized after we get saved. Now, a minister one day was talking to a man who professed conversion. The minister asked him, have you united with a church? The man said, no. The dying thief never united with a church, and so he went to heaven. The minister next asked, well, have you ever sat at the Lord's table? The fellow responded, no, the dying thief never did, and he was accepted. The minister went on next to ask, have you ever been baptized? The man said, no, the dying thief was never baptized, and he went to heaven. Well, the minister asked, have you ever given the missions? The man once again answered, saying, no, the dying thief did not, and he was not judged for it. To all this, the minister said, well, my friend, the difference between you two seems to be that he was a dying thief. And you're a living thief. When you get saved and you don't get baptized, you're not only disobeying the command of God to get baptized, which is a sin, but you're robbing yourself of the wonderful experience of giving testimony of your faith in Jesus through your baptism. And you're robbing others of that joy of seeing a person confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. I was uh, telling you, Matt, earlier before we started this podcast Years ago, early in my ministry, I, I started baptizing in the church at the beginning of the service, not at the end of the service. It's something that you tag on because I felt like baptism is very important. Well, uh, God really taught me a lesson as to how baptism is extra important when it comes to giving a testimony. You see, when that person stands in the baptismal water, they're given a testimony that they are saved. Uh, their sins are forgiven because the one who died going under the water was buried, coming up from the water was raised again, talking about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Testimony, my life's difference because of the one who died for me was buried and resurrected. Well, I had a young couple. I lived in uh, the southern part of Virginia. That's where I started out full-time pastorate. Mm -hmm. And a young couple from Grundy over in the coal mining section of Virginia uh, moved to the area. They were probably in their uh, mid-20s, a married couple. And the young girl gave her life to Jesus in a service and got saved. Well, I set aside a Sunday to baptize her. I baptized her at the beginning of the service. And then I preached a message and certainly was urging people to trust Christ as their Lord and Savior if they had not. Well, the young woman's husband came forward at the invitation and gave his life to Jesus. And I couldn't help but think that God used the power of her testimony 
you know, as well as the power of the Holy Spirit to reach her husband's heart. Yeah. You know, he saw his sweet wife up there get baptized, and it touched his heart, and he wanted to follow the Lord in baptism too and accept Jesus. So it's important uh, to be baptized, folks. Now, you know, I used to live in North Carolina, in Lexington, North Carolina, and that's where you spent your early childhood, Matt. Yeah. Lexington's noted for two things, barbecue and pictures, paintings. And so, of course, there were two resident artists that lived down in Southmont, where I lived. One was a, a very famous art, artist, Bob Timber, Timberlake, and he's went on and died. But then there was Dempsey Essick, and his wife, she was the postmaster at the local post office there in Southmont, where I really lived. And so through the years, church members gave me uh, pictures of Bob Timberlake, paintings of his, and Dempsey Essex. Well, I never did care too much about uh, paintings, but I became interested in paintings since I knew two artists. And so I always loved to look at the pictures, but I never paid any attention to the inscription uh, and at the bottom of the painting, identifying the artist. Well, uh, because of living there, I saw the significance of the signature on the painting. And folks, I want to tell you something. Baptism's like that signature on the painting. It doesn't add anything. Uh, the signature doesn't add anything to the beauty of the painting, but it identifies the painting with the person that painted the picture. Likewise, baptism does not add to your salvation, but it identifies you with the one that made your salvation possible, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that's, that's a great illustration there, Dad. Well, Dad, you gave a very good overview of how baptism is not required for salvation, but there's still certain Christian groups that believe in um, regeneration through baptism or baptism regeneration, and uh, a lot of times they hang their, their hat there on Acts 2.38, and I wonder if you could speak to that for just a second. That's right. In Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, repent, now that's repent, comma, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now those who hold to the belief that baptism is required for salvation, are quick to ignore all the scriptures that tell you how we're saved by faith and believing in Jesus Christ without mentioning baptism, and there are a galore of them. They ignore them, and they focus on just a few select passages of scripture and oftentimes lift them out of context and don't go back to the original languages to understand them. Now, those that hold to the belief that baptism is required for salvation is quick to point out that verse I just read where it says, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Assuming that the word translated for in this verse means in order to get. However, in both Greek and English, there are many possible usages of the word for. As an example, when one says take two aspirin for your headache, it is obvious to everybody that it does not mean take two aspirin in order to get your headache, but instead take two aspirin because you already have a headache. I tell people, you think about this, such and such was arrested for stealing. He wasn't arrested for the purpose of stealing, but because of his stealing. And so this is what Peter's saying. You repent. And you get baptized because of the forgiveness of your sin. Now, some people, 
that say, oh, well, well, well. Now, the word for in English is far more fluid than the Greek word that we get the word for from, you know, in what Peter said, far more fluid in English than in Greek. Well, that's not that's not so. Now, that Greek word for for, is or is, uh, E-I-S, this is a common Greek word. It's used 1,774 times in the New Testament, and it is translated many different ways. Like the English word for, it can have several different meanings. And now, Greek scholars A.T. Robertson and J.R. Uh, Matty have maintained that the Greek preposition is, E-I-S, in Acts 2.38, should be translated because of or in view of and not in order to or for the purpose of. Now, one example of how this preposition is used in other scriptures is seen in Matthew 12.41, where the word is communicates the result of an action. In this case, it is said that the people of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. The word translated at is the same Greek word is or ice. Clearly, the meaning of the passage is that they repented because of or as the result of Jonah's preaching. In the same way, it is possible that Acts 2.38 is indeed communicating the fact that they were to be baptized as the result of or because they had already believed and in doing so had already received the forgiveness of their sins. Now, over in uh, Matthew 3.11, the Bible says, baptize you with water for repentance. Clearly, the Greek word is cannot mean in order to get in that passage. They were not baptized in order to get repentance, but were baptized because they had repented. Now, uh, besides the precise meaning of the preposition translated for, there is another grammatical aspect of this verse to carefully consider. Uh, the change between the second person and third person between the verbs and pronouns in the passage. For example, in Peter's command to repent and be baptized, the Greek word translated repent is in the second person plural, while the verb be baptized is in the third person singular. When you couple this with the fact that the pronoun your in the phrase forgiveness of your sin is also second person plural, we see an important distinction being made that helps us understand this passage. The result of this change from the second person plural to third person singular and back would seem to connect the phrase forgiveness of your sins directly with the command to repent. Therefore, when you take into account the change in person and plurality, essentially what you have is you, plural, repent for the forgiveness of your, plural, sins, and let each one, singular, of you be baptized. Or, to put it in a more distinct way, you all repent for the forgiveness of your sins and let each one of you be baptized. Folks, with a few other verses like that, where people uh, tend to link baptism with the forgiveness and washing away of sins, there are explanations just like I gave you. And those that look and connect to baptism with the washing away and the forgiveness of sin for uh, salvation... They totally ignore the great, great 
gob of verses in the Bible that teach that salvation is by faith and faith alone. Take, for instance, uh, Paul and Silas were in jail, and the Philippian jailer, after the earthquake, shut the jail doors open wide, and they came out. And, uh, and he said, what must I do to be saved? He recognized the power of God and that God was with these men. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. He didn't tell them believe and be baptized, even though the jailer took them to his home. And Paul and Silas shared the plan of salvation with the jailer's family. And the whole family accepted Jesus and they were baptized. Baptism is important. It is your first step of obedience after you become a Christian, and it is very important to be baptized. So listen, even though it's not essential to salvation, if you're out there listening today and you haven't been baptized after you become a Christian, you're being disobedient to God, and you need to be baptized. Who knows? God may use your baptism as he did with that young girl from Grundy, Virginia that I baptized, and God used that baptism in the power of the Holy Spirit to save her husband. That's exactly right. Well, Dad, you uh, you've you've told us that baptism is not required for salvation, and and uh, so that's good to know. We talked about it being a symbol, and uh, you've you begin to touch on why is it important. And so I just want to outline a couple of things here about why baptism is important. You may be thinking, well, if it's not required for salvation, why do I need to do it? And I've got kind of four things here that kind of summarize it, it all. And first is that Jesus exemplified it, right? Uh, Jesus himself was baptized. If you go back to Matthew chapter 3, uh, right as Jesus was getting ready to start his, his kind of earthly ministry, um, he was baptized by John the Baptist. He went down into the Jordan and was baptized. And and we know that the heavens opened up and a voice came from heaven and said, this is my son who I'm well pleased. And uh, so Jesus was baptized. And we are called as Christians to be Christ-like and to do what he does. And so uh, part of baptism is following in his example and being baptized as Jesus was baptized. The second, Dad, you've already alluded to, is Jesus commanded it. In Matthew 28, verses 19, uh, where Jesus is giving his uh, basically great commission uh, speech uh, to his apostles and his disciples, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we see there it's a command. It's a, it's one of the ordinances that was set up with, with Christ after his um, after his resurrection, um, is that we need to go out and we need to make disciples and we need to baptize them. Right. And so Jesus commanded it. So it's a matter of obedience, as you said, Dad, of, of, of obeying what God uh, called us to do, which is to be baptized. The third thing that I noticed is that the, the apostles practiced it, right? They followed through and they, they did as they were told and they baptized and did water baptism. Um, and that has continued on and been part of kind of church history uh, as, a, as a normal accepted practice is baptism. And so we partake in that is because, again, Jesus set the example, it was commanded, and, it, and it's uh, part of our, our history of what we do. And then the fourth, and you've already touched on this one uh, here as well, is it serves as a public confession of faith. And uh, think about this verse. This is Jesus speaking in Matthew 10, 32 and 33. It says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess him also before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And so uh, this verse here uh, plainly, plainly says that we need to be bold about our faith and we need to make a statement. And uh, when you go and you get into those baptism waters, uh, you are actually preaching the gospel. You're preaching a sermon, just as you talked about that young lady did in Virginia there uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, she didn't know it, but she was preaching a gospel message when she got in that baptism pool and went right. through the act of death, burial, and resurrection. And uh, that spoke to her family. And so um, that, that's an opportunity for you to give your very first testimony. You know, a lot of people right. are nervous to get up and, and to talk about their faith or to talk about their testimony. Well, in this case, you don't even have to say anything. Right. You're just doing that public expression of death, burial, and resurrection. And uh, a lot of times God can use that to speak to other people just from what you're doing there. So mm-hmm. it is important. It's an important ordinance that God set forth for us. And so we would encourage all of you who are believers who haven't been baptized that you can continue forward uh, with following Christ and do so in baptism. And so with that, Dad, it brings us to our next question. When is the appropriate time to get baptized? And as you answer that question, one of the things that I think it'd be good to touch on, maybe many people who are listening, they may have been baptized as a child, right? Mm-hmm. Because there are certain areas of, of, of our Christian faiths that believe in either baptizing of infants, um, or maybe they just went down and they were baptized when they were young because all the other kids are doing it. Talk a little bit about when's the appropriate time to get baptized. Well, Matt, when you look at the scripture, everyone that received baptism in the New Testament received baptism after they became believers in Christ. Now, I'm not referring to John's baptism, even though the people that were baptized by John were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. They were Mm -hmm. preparing. They were repenting. But, you know, you look in the the letters, uh, the gospel letters in the New Testament, everyone, there's not one exception, everyone that was baptized was baptized after they professed their faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Then they got baptized. Now, I know perhaps there are some out there in the podcast audience that are listening that might think, well, uh, I got baptized, as you mentioned, Matt, as a a small child, and I really didn't uh, understand about Jesus and what he did on the cross. I just got baptized maybe because other kids were being baptized or or my parents told me I was baptized as an infant, and that's another subject we'll talk about in a few moments. And so, uh, and I became a Christian uh, later on. Well, uh, you need to be baptized now that you become a Christian, that you put your faith in Jesus and get your baptism in the right order. You're a believer now, but your baptism's not in the right order. You were baptized before you become a Christian. So go ahead and get baptized. Request baptism now that you're a believer, because everyone that was baptized in the New Testament were believers. As a matter of fact, you know, you go back to the Reformation, one of the things that separated out Christian groups was belief on baptism. And of course, you know, Matt, uh, you told everybody in the podcast audience, we are Baptists, and bapt- baptism is very important for us. It's, it's a very important symbol, a sign of our faith in Jesus, and we get baptized after we become Christians. We believe in believer's baptism, and that's what the Bible teaches, believer's baptism. So I just encourage you, if you have put your faith in Jesus and you have not been baptized, it's the first step of obedience after you become a Christian. You need to go ahead and get baptized. And you see, you get baptized with the Spirit before you get baptized in the water. You know, in in spiritual baptism, God places you into the body of Christ. Positionally speaking, the moment that you get saved, God places you into Christ's body. And of course, His visible body on earth is the church, and that's also associated with becoming a part of a church family. But His mystical body, His universal body, you're added to that once you become a Christian. And, And when I place people into the water, that's a picture also of the fact, not only of Jesus' death and burial, but it is a picture of the fact that we have been placed into the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. So for a baptism to have uh, 
you know, to carry out its significant meaning, water baptism, you need to be baptized spiritually first. And that happens after you become a believer. That's right. And that brings us to our final question here, which is how should you be baptized? Now, for this one, there are three different modes of baptism that are practiced in the modern church, and they are sprinkling, pouring, and immersion. Um, and we, as Baptists, we reject uh, sprinkling and pouring as valid modes of baptism. And, and here's the, the basis for this, and this is, is where we kind of found our beliefs on. Uh, first, we look at the actual Greek word that's used for baptism in the New Testament. So that, that word is baptizo, and that Greek word literally means to dip or immerse. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's used, uh, that particular word's used about 100 times in the New Testament. Uh, and most are referencing either John's baptism or the reference to Jesus saying, go baptize saints. But it's also used in various places where it talks about dipping of cloaks uh, in the Old Testament. Um, it's used in Revelation where it talks about the bloodstained uh, garment um, is, is used that same word of something being dunked or submerged or dipped into water. And so for that, that is the first reason that we believe that uh, baptism should be by immersion fully into the water. The second that we uh, base our, our kind of belief on is the fact that, well, Jesus himself was baptized by immersion, right? Mm-hmm. We know that he went down to the Jordan and uh, he was placed in the water and brought out of the water. And then again, that's where we have uh, the clouds opening up and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And so uh, we, we take that example. And if you look at any time that, that John's baptism was done, he was always doing it in where there was a good body of water to be had. Mm-hmm. And that goes also for the apostles, that they followed through in what appears to be baptism by immersion. And then the, the last thing, Dad, is, is really kind of what we've talked about is, is the symbolism of it, right? The, this is the purpose of, of this uh, baptism act is to, to represent the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And as you said, also being placed into Christ. And so it's kind of hard to do that when you just use sprinkling or you're using pouring of water, uh, because if you think about it, a person standing in a baptistry pool or in a lake or creek or wherever it may be, when they're standing upright, they're alive. And when you place them down into the water, that symbolizes their death and their burial. They're up under the water. And then as you bring them up, it represents the resurrection. Um, And so there's so much uh, symbology in that, uh, again, pointing to Christ. Um, I also like to think about, you know, that symbol of of what we are to do to our old self, right? We're supposed to to crucify our old self and to get rid of that self and die to self. And so, um, and that we're brought back into a new life uh, where we're living for Jesus. And so uh, those, that's the reason why we believe in this baptism by immersion. And and so you say, well, well, where does sprinkling and, and, and pouring come from? And and to be honest with you, Dad, as I go through the, the Bible, and obviously you've done this much more than I have, there's really no justification that we can find anywhere for any other forms of baptism, um, particularly when you look at like sprinkling of infants. Um, nowhere can you find that in, in the Bible that supports any type of uh, infant or, or child baptism that would not be with a conversion uh, into Christianity. And so uh, those have, were just kind of developed by man. It was part of uh, church traditions, and um, it really is what separates a lot of the denominations again. That's what the Reformation was about, was a split really over a lot of those beliefs, and one of those was baptism. Mm-hmm. You know, having researched this topic pretty good, the 
the idea of sprinkling being used as an acceptable manner. Well, in the early church, there was obviously writings. People sent letters from uh, from one church to another, and and there was a mention by some in the early church, Christians and pastors, of uh, sprinkling in extreme cases, like if there's a place where someone becomes a believer and there are no places like pools and rivers, uh, water uh, of any depth is not found anywhere. Yeah. Or if someone is dying and you cannot take them to a river and baptize them or to a church where there is a baptistry. Some of the early churches had baptistries just like in our baptistry here, yeah. you know, that's deep enough for someone to be immersed. And uh, so someone that was very sick, you could not take them to a church to be baptized in the baptistry or the lake. And so under those extreme circumstances, sprinkling was used. Now, let me give you an illustration of something that happened to me. You know, obviously, uh, the word baptize, is, as Matt's pointed out, means to dip or immerse, and that is the proper method of baptism. Uh, only by immersion does it talk about the death, burial, and the resurrection, give a picture of that. Sprinkling cannot do that. But um, so I had a, a lady to ask me. She was dying of ovarian cancer. And she was at the point that she could not be taken to a body of water to be laid down in the water and to be baptized. I baptized uh, elderly people, two elderly people in my ministry in the bathtub. Mm-hmm. We were past that. This woman was dying and uh, and in a, in a terrible condition health-wise. She wanted to be baptized. And I said, well, I'll baptize you. And I was thinking, how can I baptize her and give a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection when I can't get her in the water. And so as I was driving away from her home, you know, you try to fulfill the request of someone dying. You sure. know. Yeah. And uh, I was making my way back to home, and all of a sudden the idea hit me. Well, I could have her husband help me, and we could set her up in the bed and then lay her back and then raise her back up, picturing death, burial and resurrection and so i i got some water and i baptized her in the name of the father son and the holy spirit is what i said and uh, that's how you're to baptize in the name of the father son and holy spirit she was sitting up her husband was holding her up i sprinkled water on her she was sitting up he laid her down to picture uh burial you know i sprinkled water on her and then he brought her back up again i sprinkled water on her again and did it in the name of the father son and the holy spirit and i know god accepted that because and this was an extreme case she could not get to any body of water to be baptized she was uh, just probably days from death, but I was able to fulfill her request. And in her baptism, in the bed, she pictured the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and it was with water. That's right. Well, <laughs> you guys heard it here first. There's a Baptist uh, preacher who sprinkled. Um, that may be one of the only times you hear that. but Only time I've ever done that. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but, uh, yes, there is concessions that can be made in, in those uh, circumstances where someone can't get to water. And, and again, in this case, this lady, if she would have called out to Christ right there in her deathbed and there wouldn't have been time to do that, yeah. she still would have been saved. She was you know, saved. She would have been entered into, uh, accepted into the gates of heaven and, uh, and taken in as a child of God right there without it. Um, but she wanted to do it. She wanted to make that public statement. She wanted to have that done. And so I admire that out of someone who wanted to follow through. She wanted to follow through because she knew God told her that she needed to be uh, saved and then to be baptized. And so she was doing what she was told to do. And so you got to respect that. Right. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to help her uh, complete that. So, well, Dad, we're just about out of time here. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in this week and listening. We hope that this has uh, helped you understand 
understand um, a little bit more about the doctrine of baptism and uh, encourage you to do some reading and studying of your own. Hopefully, if someone ever asks you why you believe, you won't just say, well, I believe what my church believes. You'll be able to tell them a little bit more detail about why you believe baptism, maybe why you believe in baptism by immersion. And uh, so, again, we hope this has been a blessing to you. We'll see you next time. Dad, press out of here. All right. Our Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. We're glad you love us. And our Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, I know there's perhaps some that are listening to the podcast today that have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ uh, to forgive them of their sins and to wash their sins away. And I pray, Lord, that today they'll take this as an opportunity to simply ask you to forgive them on the basis of what Jesus did and how he died for them, was buried, and was resurrected. And then, Lord, I pray that they will uh, find them a good church where the Bible is taught and uh, they will follow through with baptism, uh, believer's baptism. And, Lord, there are perhaps some, and listening to the podcast, that they have trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they haven't been baptized yet. Now they understand the significance, the importance of it. I pray they'll find a good church, Lord God, uh, where they can learn and study and they can be baptized. And so, Lord, just guide and direct these that are listening today. Thank you, Lord. We all look back upon our baptism, those of us as Christians, and we think about where we uh, took a public stand to acknowledge Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we're so glad we did. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonfire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.